0: Hey guys, welcome to the Tech People Podcast. My name is Ken Coyne. I'm your host and founder as well as head of technology at Ops Talent. I believe at the heart of any success story are the people who made it happen. Diversity, creativity, and innovation, when nurtured in people, can lead to an unbeatable formula. I created this podcast to share the experiences of some truly inspirational leaders on their journey to success. Enjoy the show. Hi guys, welcome back. This is Ken speaking, and I'm delighted to host another episode of Tech People today. This week, our topic is scaling processes in CX. If you want to grow your business and your people, you must have clear, efficient processes in place. But how do you approach this? What are potential challenges and solutions? For example, how do you manage unscalable processes? To help answer these questions, it is my pleasure to introduce Manuel Harnish, who is the Vice President of Customer Service at People Data Labs. Welcome to the show, Manuel. Hi, Ken. Happy to be here. Well, thank you. I'm very excited to learn a bit more about your experience and talk to us about scaling processes. But before we start, maybe you could just maybe talk a bit about your background.
1: Yeah, sounds good. So I've been the VP of customer success here at People Data Labs for about uh, 16 months or so. Yeah, we are, we're a uh, data as a services company. So we, we focus on supplying uh, profiles on individuals and companies, which is similar to, you know, SaaS play, but we are obviously data. So it's heavily based on API and, and data points, obviously. And prior to that, I did much of the same in terms of leading and building a customer success function at, um, at Kentic for about four years.
0: Okay. Cool. Fantastic. And you're based in, where are you based again exactly? What city?
1: Yeah. So, so right now I'm in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. Um, (laughs) and your listeners probably won't have a clue. So I'm not going to go into details there. But if anybody ever watches The Office, um, not too far from Scranton, Pennsylvania, which is, which Um, is where that uh, show is based. Yes.
0: Fantastic. Okay. So, so let's get down to our topic processes, right? Now, before we talk about scaling processes, if someone wants to, you know, decide when to introduce a process versus saying, oh, this is just a once off requirement.
1: Can I ask how, how would you decide how do you go about doing the that? Yeah, that's a great, great starting point. So I think we need to sort of define what the word process means here. I think it means a few different things to different people and, and certainly has a unique meaning to me. So think about it this way, you know, getting up in the morning, putting on your clothes, you know, brushing your teeth, things like that. To some folks, that's considered a process, right? But the reality for me is that's really a routine or a habit, right? It's something that You know, you kind of do unconsciously every single day, but you do it fairly consistently and fairly automatically. So most of us probably don't think of that as a process. With that said, similarly in in customer success and customer service, you know, talking to your customers, keeping your records up to date on those customers, making sure that the customers are taken care of—all those are, for the most part, routines for people. They're not necessarily thought of as processes. You know, if you take a step back, but process is interesting in that you know. You can use process as a means of reshaping a routine that may already exist. And you can also use it as a means to introduce a new routine. So process can really be a way of modifying you know, behaviors and not necessarily thinking of it as the end all to what you're trying to accomplish. Now, coming back to the original question, right? What is a one-off versus something that you may want to incorporate into an eventual routine? That's really the definition of process as you as how I want to think about it. To me, it comes down to the frequency and the impact of the task at hand, right? And it's really like this: if you drew a quadrant, right? There's sort of like four areas. There's high impact, high frequency, as well as low impact, high frequency. So this is kind of the top two. And then there's also high impact, low frequency, and low impact, low frequency. And those are probably not the ones you really want to worry about because low and low tends to not be a, a big part of it. But yeah, those are... The areas that you would want to take a look at if you're trying to think about where to introduce process and where you want to change things.
0: Okay, very interesting. And just, you know, in my introduction, I mentioned the topic about unscalable processes. In your experience, I mean, how do you evaluate you know unscalable processes? One and two. How do you change? It? How do you, how do you actually scale them?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if you think back to those four uh, main quadrants that I, I outlined previously. If something's high impact, but low frequency, most often, it kind of starts out as a one-off or a series of one-offs. And that's usually an opportunity for some standardization and process building. And so that's where you would start. Now, it's important in this to really listen to your team. Normally, you're not operating in sort of a vacuum. You have people that are kind of doing these things for you. And then do you believe that or do your people believe that something is truly a one-off or is something... Something that's going to happen more frequently as time goes forward. If enough people on the team think that or raise their hand and say, Hey, yeah, this is probably something we would want to think about from a scaling perspective as a process. Then that's a hint usually that, you know, you may want to look at this and actually define a process for it. And finally, I would also say though, you know, I've operated in startups for basically the last 15 years of my career. It's okay doing unscalable things for a while, right? It's actually, it's a good thing to do that especially in startups, because you're consistently and constantly learning and optimizing for your company and for your customers and for your team. So it's totally fine to do some things in an unscalable manner. And then once it turns out that, hey, this is something we actually do need to scale and usually you get the hints from from the team on that, that's when you take a step back and really start to think about it.
0: Okay. Very interesting point of view. Yeah. So I suppose it's good interesting you mentioned there, but you have to learn from that experience as well, I guess. Okay, so let's talk is through. Have you got an example maybe that of like an, an unscalable process and how would you then approach it? So you're doing something for a longer period of time and then it's obviously raising issues in the business, preventing the business to grow. How would you then go about approaching and changing that?
1: Yeah, so a couple of things there. First, I think you you want to figure out what about a process is working or what isn't working about it, right? Is it the motion? Is it the individuals that are you know going through the motion today? Or is it something potentially externally, right? So that's, that's kind of the, the first part of this. And once you understand that, then you can kind of determine how you can translate those items into something that eventually can become somebody's routine or habit going forward. Now, an example of this might be, you know, a CSM, they set sort of a personal goal of reaching out to 10 customers, for instance, right? In some right. way, shape or form, whether that's email, phone or, or some other means, right? Why is the person doing that? Ask them about that and try to understand how they they came about that routine as part of of what they do, right? And what outcome they see from that. Because if you don't ask the why behind what's going Mm -hmm. on, you're probably missing the bigger picture. Now, if you like the outcome of what that person is doing, right, ask others why they're not doing that. So if you have one CSM that's super high performing, right, and they have certain habits, ask others why they're not mimicking what that person is doing, and there could be, it could be a myriad of reasons, right? It could be, you know, just this person is exceptional. It could be they don't like the approach. It could be like they have something else that's working for them, right? And try to capture all of those things again, asking sort of the the why behind what's going on. And then, you know, once once you've done that, you can kind of reconcile and determine what the uh, the customer outreach should be as a result of those conversations, right? So one person is doing these things, another person is doing other things, right? What's sort of the common theme amongst all of these? And also, what's sort of like your own opinion as a leader and kind of document those learnings? And then use your intuition at the end of it, right? Data can form a lot of these processes and, and a lot of these decisions. But ultimately, every organization that I've been in sort of has its own unique intuitions and approaches. And so, yeah, that's how I think about that.
0: Yeah, so like is the, you mentioned like a lot of common teams. Is there like common teams in general when it comes to unscalable processes in your experience? Like is it systems, people? I'm just throwing examples. I don't know. I mean, just asking your opinion on that.
1: Yeah, I think it's a combination of like what your company is solving for and, and you know, the product and in the marketplace that you're operating in, but then also the individuals that you have on the team, right? I've worked with, you know, over a hundred people closely in my career. And I can honestly say that there's generally not a whole lot of personality overlaps between them. Now, there's, there's certain traits that you see, you know, across the board, but everybody's is kind of unique. And so I think that's, that's where the unscalable piece is really interesting, right? Because everybody has their own opinions, their own approaches. You know, this team at PDL has. You know, reach conclusions in terms of how they would like to scale and me supporting that that are you know entirely different from the team that I had at Kentuck and the team I had at set one prior to that. Right? right. So I do think a big part of this is the individuals that you bring on. And I always try to look for, you know, some experience, but certainly high, high propensity for potential and, and a hunger to achieve in the space.
0: Okay. I like the point, you know, Richard, you, you do your, the questioning of it, you know, and going to the people and, and asking them. Is there any specific like tools that you use or techniques? I mean, I know in a past life, I came across Six Sigma, for example, which was all about process optimization. Um, for you, is there any specific thing that you use?
1: It's not so much a methodology. I try to just ask scenario-based questions like, hey, you know, give me a time in your life in your career where you had a particularly difficult decision to make and how did you go about doing that, right? And it's not so much that I care about what the ultimate decision was. It, it's more about like, what did you do to, you know, effectively inform that decision for you? It's kind of like, yeah, you can ask somebody's like, okay, you were out there and looking to buy a car, right? And you, you know, you have no idea what you want to buy yet. How do you go about narrowing down what you may want to buy and what goes into that process? And it's different for every person, but it's more so like, what is their process for doing that versus the eventual outcome?
0: Okay, and talk talk to me about you know some of the common challenges, maybe or some of the solutions that you've overcome in you know scaling processes that you could share.
1: Yeah, so a few things in that area. Not uh, waiting long enough to scale a process, and this can sound a little uh, counterintuitive, but there's oftentimes a bit of a fallacy, right? Where like, oh, I, I see this is happening and it's affecting a broad range of people. But you know, I want to I want to go ahead and put a process in place like right away. It can be too early to do that, and sometimes it's you know it seems like hey we're going to do this for the foreseeable future, so we we need to have this process in place. But you may realize that hey, this could be a one off period in our company's life. And an example for that might be, and oftentimes as a leader, you you kind of have visibility to that, but the team may not. There could be an M and A event happening in the background, and it it could appear that all of a sudden like. You know, you're doing a lot of contract audits or things like that. And people might be like, well, we should have a process for this. And the reality is that's really a one-off thing. Mm -hmm. And therefore you don't necessarily need to put process in place for it. And so that, that's one example. There's a number of other sort of examples like funding rounds, external events, certain product releases and things like that, that could impact that. And so, you know, to me, it's like, if, if something's only going to affect you for three to six months, right? It's probably Mm -hmm. more of a one-off than something you really have to prepare for, you know, long term. Having the experience to know that, right, and and sort of like knowing when to wait it out versus if something really needs to be tackled is a challenge. And and that's, you know, one way to kind of think about that. And the other one, and this is probably (laughs) the harder one in in many ways, human psychology. Change is hard on people, right? And there is, gosh, there's books upon books. I've I've read some of them in in my past, and I've gone through some Management trainings where it's like, you know, you, you must unfreeze, you know, the status quo, make the change and then freeze the status quo again, right? That's how people like to scale through these things. And like, that's one, one idea, but ultimately, like, you know, most people are somewhat resistant to change, even though if people tell you you said, Oh, I love change, right? Yes, to some extent they do, but not necessarily, you know, across the board. So I think it's, it's understanding that and then providing As much context and as much why you're doing this, right? The the why is more important than the how and the what is really critical. And finally, like not all processes are are created equal, right? So some things could be really minor adjustments and and people are more willing to to kind of see that and go along with them. Other things could be major changes. And so again, providing as much context and you know background on what's happening and why it's happening is really critical there.
0: Very good points. How about this quick one actually? does think come to my my head. When you're building processes, do you build them around the system or do you approach it the other way around? And that you have the process and you build a system around it.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think it depends on what systems you may already have in place, right? right? Sometimes it's actually, it's, you know, there's something to be said about having the infinite number of choices available. That can actually make it difficult to implement certain processes or even think about them, right? Like if, if I can do anything, I might also be able to do nothing, right? So there's a fallacy in having too much available options. Whereas if you have certain systems already in place, you're, yes, you're constrained by them, but it also, it frees you to basically say, well, there's certain things that we can do within the system and there's other things that the system will just not allow and we're likely not going to change the system. So let's figure out a way to make this work within the systems that we have. And for startups, a lot of times, and actually this is this is funny. Like we we, we're running into this now, a lot of times you end up buying tools and and you know systems, if you will, and you end up with like 30 or 40 of them or even more. Whereas like most mature companies only have 10, 15, maybe 20 quote unquote systems in place. And so that could be a challenge too, right? Because you've got that many tools and that many systems in place, you know, you end up using five to 10% of each of them. And it's kind of like a smorgasbord of, of things going on. So it's actually okay to have less, less systems in place and really work within some of those constraints. Obviously, if it's too limiting and you, you know, you can't accomplish the core things that you're trying to accomplish yet, yeah, it's, it's time to think about a different system and design your, your process first, then figure out the system. But it's most of the time it's okay to work within the systems and define your processes around those
0: yeah actually not a question on that i mean do you do you build or do you buy the system have you got a preference on that
1: gosh the age old question of build yeah. versus buy <laughs> yes
0: it it so, off topic.
1: no no this is this is great. We used to run into this all the time when I was in in sales, uh, especially for SevOne in the earlier days and also to some extent at Kentic and the question there is like we were the vendor obviously and we're trying to convince people it's like hey We can come in and do this commercially off the shelf, right? Versus you building this yourself. And the question that the customer should always ask themselves, and we were trying to encourage them to ask that: Is this something that is a competitive differentiator for your business? If it is, you should consider building it, right? If it's something that you know everybody else does, and the vendors that are in the space do it reasonably well enough, you should probably consider buying it. And I'll make the example, right? Salesforce, right? It's a ubiquitous. CRM. Most people don't consider a CRM to be a differentiator of their business. Now, there could be a, a small subset of people where it's like, yep, this is absolutely a differentiator. We, you know, we, we get that much more efficiency. I actually used to work for a hosting company way back in the day, back in the mid 2000s that had built their own um, CRM billing system, ticking system and provisioning system that was completely and tightly coupled. And it okay. gave them an immense amount of efficiencies and it was a competitive differentiator so they made the decision to build that right because back then this sort of thing didn't really exist at that scale yet and for that niche market it was great right but for most people that is probably not the the approach and so to me if you know m- most of the time there are things that are already out there also were we're a startup you know we're resource constrained. unless it's like moving a needle for our business directly we probably just go buy something. Yeah, good answer
0: so just getting so just to get into the end of our, our chat scaling processes for the future how do you see this evolving
1: oh yes let me get my crystal ball <laughs> and do a prediction of the future here so I think it's probably not a secret that you know we we will continue to see more automation I think that's a big general theme you know in the last 5, 10, even 15 years we've seen more AI and a lot of that is just rules-based engines and that's okay but we, we've seen more automation around that we've also seen you know more more coding you know at all levels and, and you know there's a number of different vendors that do integrations between apis and systems and things like that but I think it's going to be human assisted automation to some extent right so it's like hey I don't want to pre-write all the emails to my customers this is one example right but I, I want to double check and make sure that the right ones are going out and you know there's nothing in there to I find controversial, so maybe I have the system pre-write them, but I approve them for for sending. That could be one example, right? There's a number of other things, like you know, calendar time, right? There's ah oh gosh, there's like five or ten different vendors out there that will let you set up time on the calendar and give that give that right to the customer. So. We're, Versus me going in and saying, Oh, well, I'm available this time, this time, this time, Mr. Customer, which one would you like? You put your link in there and they can just self schedule, right? So that's, that's one area of, of scaling teams and processes that I think, you know, automation will really be helpful. I also think that we'll see more of those why questions, right? Like. You know, why are we scaling these processes? Why are we doing the things that we're doing? And I think a lot of that is being motivated by the, the turnover in the workforce, right? You know, it's funny. Um, millennials are now the, the largest part of the workforce and we're actually not too worried about them anymore. I sort of identify with the millennial crowd at all. I'm one of the elder ones, but the Gen Zs and you know other folks that are entering the, the workforce now are asking many more of those why questions and I think, you know, we're going to like the, the age old adage of like, well, we've always done it this way and that's why we're doing it that way it isn't going to, to fly anymore and it's certainly yeah. not going to fly with, with processes in, in the future. And the last thing I would say, you know, we'll I think we're going to see more of a guidelines approach versus like you must follow this process to the T and there is no deviation from it. I think, you know, individual creativity and individual freedoms in those processes are going to be. Playing a much bigger role as we go forward.
0: Yeah, fantastic, Manuel. Listen, thank you so much for coming on today. Really enjoyed the chat. Much appreciated for sharing your insights.
1: Yeah, thanks, Candice. This was fun, and uh, look forward to a future conversation.
0: Yeah, definitely. Thank you.